Well, one of my favorite humor adages is humor is best used as a rubber sword, meaning that you make your point without drawing blood. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? Today's podcast is brought to you by the San Mateo County Fair. The fair runs June 9th through 17th and features yummy food, a lush rainforest with exotic animals, and free concerts from acts like Sugar Ray, TLC, and Sheila E. Today's guest, in fact, saw her first concert at a county fair, so why not bring your kids to San Mateo and make some memories? Buy tickets now at sanmateocountyfair.com. Hello, hello, hello. How's everybody doing today? I hope all is well with all of you. This is my first episode of year two of the Midlife Mixtape podcast, and I'm hoping you'll stay tuned all the way to the end to find out how you can win a present from me. It's a personalized playlist to celebrate the new season. That's my gift bag. That's the goodie bag from this party. So listen all the way through to the end, and I'll tell you how to enter. I am fresh off my annual visit to the Mom 2.0 Summit, where I meet up every year with fellow writers and podcasters for a hit of creative inspiration and some practical advice. And it all culminates in the Big Iris Awards celebration to recognize excellence in blogging and other kinds of content creation. So the Iris Awards are always hosted by a surprise MC who will really get the ladies going. So years past, it's been Andrew McCarthy, Alfonso Ribeiro, and Andrew Shu. So this year, I want to give a big shout out to my friend KJ Delantonia, who is a columnist and contributing editor for the New York Times, and together with Jess Leahy, host of a really great podcast called Am Writing. If you're a writer, you should check out Am Writing. Um, anyway, in the split second on Friday night at the Iris Awards, between when Tay Diggs was introduced and when he actually stepped on stage, KJ said in the loudest voice for all to hear, why is he doing this. (laughs) Well played, KJ. I'm sure Tay was thinking the same thing at the same time. Someone else who I was hanging out with at the conference in Pasadena, who has as little or less chill than KJ, is past Iris Award winner and today's guest, humor writer Wendy Ahrens. Wendy has written for outlets including McSweeney's, Alpha Mom, Austin's NPR station KUT, as well as Lifetime TV, and she's my commanding officer over there at Us Weekly Fashion Police. Wendy is one of the creators of the website Mouthy Housewives. She's been the producer and director of Listen to Your Mother Austin, and she is the co-creator of the much-lauded Twitter feed at Paul Ryan Gosling. And we'll talk about that on the interview. So let's get cozy with Wendy, or as Paul Ryan Gosling might say, hey girl, you must be an NRA lobbyist because I want to get into your pocket. I am here today with my good friend and wonderful humor writer, Wendy Ahrens. Wendy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. We have to put on our big girl pants and try to talk to each other seriously for the next 30 minutes or so. So I know that you know because you've listened to the podcast, but we have an important first question, which was what was your first concert and what were the circumstances? Well, I think I must have been 14 or 15 and... That's kind of horrifying to be that age because when I think about how the concert happened, 
I was living in North Dakota, where I grew up, and my parents were okay with me riding in the back of a station wagon with my older male softball coach to go 60 miles away to the Fargo Fairgrounds with a couple other of my softball teammates. No cell phones. They had no way of knowing if, you know, we were being taken across the Canadian border and sold. They had, you know, they were okay with whatever happened. Was white slavery a big concern for you growing up in Nodak? No, because everybody was white. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, we, we weren't special. Uh, <laughs> so we went to um, the Fargo Fairgrounds and the concert was Eddie Money and 38 Special. And you still like 38 Special, I, I know. I do like 38 Special quite a bit. Yeah, they're, they're in my regular uh, playlist rotation. I know, and yet we're still friends. We're still friends. <laughs> as someone who has been as high as number three on the Google results page for the word fanalo, could you please first tell the listeners what fanalos are? And second, what are you doing to regain and maintain your standing? Because I'm noticing that you're slipping down the ranks. Uh, well, first of all, I think it is silly to have to define what a fanalo is because everybody knows that. But it's uh, somebody who is a very music savvy person who loves Barry Manilow to uh, a big degree. I'm going to go ahead and let you have that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was up n- number three in the Google search results for fanalo. And then I don't know what happened. My status changed and I started getting like knocked down to like, almost page number two, which was what humiliating. So I uh, posted a whole bunch more after I just saw, I just saw them in San Antonio. So I had to get on the, the gram and the Twitter and do hashtag fanalo. It's all about hashtags now, Nancy. You got to do some fanalo fanfic. I think so. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's your next step. <laughs> <laughs> and for the listeners, you, you have to know that I have mocked Wendy and her fanalo tendencies since almost the day I met you. And yet you convinced me to try it out and you flew from Austin to Oakland to come with me to see a show. And it was fan freaking tastic. I had a blast. See, You will never be the least cool person at a Manilow concert, I, no matter what. I, I would venture to say I was the most cool person and I got the nicest compliment I've ever gotten at a concert. <laughs> That's right. The, what was it? Look- there was a woman just kind of slumped in a stand drinking like a 64-ounce Slurpee <laughs> who pointed to me and said, look at you being all classy. <laughs> See, she's probably the number one fan of search result. Yeah, she's, she, she's written some fanfic. All right. And I also wanted to tell people that you are getting some pretty heady perks uh, from your career as a humor writer. Because last summer, you took your teenage son to a music festival, and you were on the guest list for which rapper? Oh, God, the Jambalaya Festival. Who is that? Yeah. Oh, God. Gucci Mane? Yes. Gucci Mane. Right. All I know is my contact was DJ Snake, who I had to find. Maybe he wasn't even a DJ. He might have just been Snake. His name was Donald James. He went by DJ. So he's sending texts like, hey, Snake, it's Wendy Aarons. (laughs) Do you know where the porta potty is? Did you ever think when you were growing up in North Dakota that you would ascend to these heights in the music in the music universe? I did not. I I can honestly say I never foresaw hip hop as as a thing <laughs> moving forward, much less that I would be a part of it. In in the I, when we were in the Panky Rang section, that was the VIP section. What was it called? Panky Rang. Panky. Panky Rang. 
<laughs> we, we weren't in the fur coat section, but we were in the pankering section. Well, there you, yeah, that's something to aspire to. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So, you know, one of the things that I respect about you so much and you've taught me so much about is that you take humor seriously. You really treat it as a craft. I think you really take the time to understand what, where it works well and why. That's sort of at odds with the fact that we live in an age where everybody thinks they're a comedian. And, you know, everybody's got the Twitter account that they're trying to crap wise on. And, and I wanted to ask you, what, what makes the difference between somebody who's a professional humor writer or a professional comedian and somebody who's just, you know, trying to make their circle of friends laugh? Uh, well, I'll say none of them are wrong. Any, I'm all for anybody making anybody laugh on any level. You, I mean, you can have a guy at Starbucks who's, you know, a barista who's funny. That's great. Um, but there obviously are different levels of sophistication and the way that you are funny and who your audience is. You know, I will say that there's, you know, the, the more professional joke writers, the people who just their natural way to express themselves is, is with humor. That's how I am. And that's why I gravitate towards that. And I've been doing it long enough that I, you know, I can appreciate something when it's well done. And, you know, you can kind of see like, oh, that's, that's why they did it that way. That lands. It's not hack. I think a lot of the amateur stuff you see is it's just hack. There's not a lot of craft or thought put into it. You know, a lot of the stuff that my kids like, the memes and the, you know, just some, something stupid that is to me so sophomoric and easy, but but the kids love it. It gets like a huge audience that I don't understand. But then I have to think, well, that's not my sensibility. And that's what those people like. And, you know, I'm, I'm never, I would never be able to create that in a million years if I tried because I think so poorly of it. But does that make it less funny um, in the overall sense of what is funny? I don't know. If the end goal is to generate a laugh, I guess if it, if it does that, then it's successful by definition. Well, yeah. It's successful and it's subjective. I mean, you know, I I don't care for Adam Sandler, but millions of morons do care for Adam <laughs> Sandler. So yeah, it's subjective. But um, you know, there's a lot of hack humor. That's that's what I don't like. It's the you know the easy jokes. I don't well, not that I don't like it. I don't respect it. You mean there's jokes that haven't been made yet about moms whining for wine? Yeah, that stuff. It's, so when I first became a parent, there are all of these mom's drinking wine jokes. And I'm sure I made some, I know I made some and, you know, and you kind of ride that out. And, and now there's a new wave of moms doing that sort of thing. And to me, it's just like, so been there, done that. It's such a cliche, you know, move on. But then I have to think like, well, they've never told those jokes before. It's the first time they've told them. So I guess we need to respect that in some way. But to me, as soon as I see anything like that, I'm like, oh, God, no, move on. You know, there are better jokes to be told. Right. There's got to be a kombucha joke that we were not telling because kombucha had not been (laughs) invented yet or weaponized. So exactly. Given that it's subjective, I know you teach humor writing workshops once in a while. How do you teach it? How I mean, what's the challenge there? Uh, it's hard because there are people that are just, they're fans of humor. They like to laugh. They like comedians. They admire all that. You know, so they maybe know a lot about humor and comedy, but that doesn't mean that they are able to produce it or, or you know, deliver themselves. So those people, a lot of those people will take my class. And to them, I, 
you can't, you're either naturally funny or you're not. I, you know, maybe people will disagree with that, but I think, I think that's very true. It's just like, I could never sit down and write erotica. That's not part of my DNA. Maybe if you put your Barry life-size cutout in front of your desk, you'd <laughs> yes. be inspired. <laughs> you need to get off of this, Nancy. I'm not, I'm not writing Fifty Shades of Manilow. You know what? I'm not saying never. Trademark that. Trademark that quick. <laughs> he does have two new hips now. He had hip replacement. Well. So, you know, maybe the time to strike is now. <laughs> before they rust. But, uh, before they rest. Anyway, but there are different humor uh, writing techniques. And, you know, I, I try to teach, especially to people who are uh, novelists, and they're trying to just find more ways to make uh, jokes and put some levity into their manuscript. Just things like different word choice and timing and the different, uh, you know, what is parody and what is satire, because so many people seem completely confused by that. So it's just sort of giving them more education, and hopefully that'll help their writing in general. Mm -hmm. Is it a practice makes perfect thing in humor writing, or is it something different? Sometimes, sometimes. And, um, you know, the one of the exercises I do is have them put together just a headline for what could be a funny story, like something you would read in Shouts and Murmurs in the New Yorker or something that you'd see on McSweeney's. So just take a headline, sometimes put two incongruous, which is a word I can't say. No, you can't because it's incongruous. together. <laughs> I knew when I was saying it, it was going to land. I'll edit that out. No, I won't. <laughs> but, you know, just like, one of the pieces I wrote was a middle-aged woman tells her 12-year-old neighbor how to make his street gang more powerful. We wrote that years ago. But you just laugh from the title, right? So that's like half of the challenge. So I have them sit down and write like three or four titles. And then we go around the room and they say them out loud. And uh, usually like there's one that'll stand out and right away you're like, that's the one. That's what you should work on. Right. Or just tweak this a little bit. Or um, I don't know. It's it's. I think that's a really great way to start with a conceptual humor piece. Just kind of mm -hmm. get something like that that is just funny from the first second you see the title. Can you give the title of the one that you just had on McSweeney's? Oh, yeah. Who said it? Middle-aged woman or teenage boy? I'll include a link to that from the show notes because that's a must read. Thank you. That's one of my favorite ways to write humor, which uh, two of my favorite ways, which is a list because I think lists are deceptively easy, but when they're done well, you know, that's pacing and um, the order of the list and they can, a list can kind of tell a complete story, even though it's not a lot of words. Um, so that was the list part I liked. And then also it's taking two things to groups of people you wouldn't think have anything in common and they actually do and pointing that out. So it has universal truth that, you know, I got so many people after reading it were like, oh yeah, I never thought about that, but they are really similar. Teenage boys and middle-aged women. Um, it was just like pointing out the obvious, but in a funny way that people maybe hadn't recognized before. You know, I wanted to ask, because we obviously are living in a very serious time, and there's anxiety, there's a lot of shit going down. And you deal with that in some at some level through your humor writing. You and your two collaborators, who I'll let you fawn over, uh, have a very popular parody Twitter account called 
Paul Ryan Gosling. You, but you do other writing that I think speaks to topics of social justice and, and injustices. And you're using humor to highlight those. And I wonder if you ever get pushback. Uh, I wonder if people ever say to you, you know, that's this topic is so serious, humor is not the right way to treat it. And I wonder if that ever even comes from people who share perhaps your point of view on those topics. But first, talk about who does Paul Ryan Gosling with you so you can... God, what are their names I again? I can't remember them either. One is, starts with an M. Mm. Shit. Yeah. God, she's Russian? Yeah. No, it's not Melania. No. Oh, uh, Mariana Olenko and Kelsey Kintner. And we have been doing Paul Ryan Gosling since uh, since before the dark days, since before the dark orange days, uh, when Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney were running for president. Which now we're like, God, why couldn't they would have been amazing? Um, <laughs> little did we know. But uh, yeah, and that was it's a, um, a merge of the Ryan Gosling, hey girl, sensitive male, and then Paul Ryan, who's just a D bag, clueless, um, evil Republican. So that's been fun. And we, um, we've gotten a lot of attention for that, mostly more so during the, that election. And then. Um, well, one of my favorite humor adages is um, humor is best used as a rubber sword, meaning that you make your point without drawing blood. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that um, political humor, less so now, more so then, is very powerful because you're making people laugh, but you're making a strong point. And also doing it through this character. It's not Wendy Aaron saying uh, Paul Ryan is uh, cutting off Social Security and he's a horrible person to America. You know, that I could say it still means something. But if I'm saying it as Paul Ryan Gosling, this character, and I'm saying, hey, girl, I hope you're middle class because I can't wait to screw you. (laughs) That is saying the same thing, really. But it's funny. It gets more attention because it makes people laugh. And, you know, laughter attracts, 100% laughter attracts. So that's, uh, you know, just putting out the message in a different way. And it's my preferred way because it's, you know, like I said, it makes you laugh, but it still makes you cry underneath the laughter. Do people ever tell you they think that's not the way to go? No. And and that, you know, I hadn't ever really thought about that till you brought it up, but I have never, I mean, besides the trolls, the American flag, American Eagle trolls who just because they don't look what I'm saying, but I've never had anybody say that's not something to joke about. Never once. You've also gotten people who think that it's really Paul, Paul Ryan's account. Oh, every day, every day. And then we have to say, hey, girl, wrong, wrong schmuck. <laughs> You're looking for the other schmuck. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't push it too hard either. I'm very strong with my humor, but I'm never offensive. I'm never awful, rude, inappropriate to the level that somebody would say, you know, hey, you need to back off. So uh, I mean, some people are and I've seen that happen where they get a lot of, you know, like the comedians who think it's funny to make a rape joke. No, it's never funny to make a rape joke, even if you're trying to, you know, make a, a social point while you do so. It's just there are some things you just don't touch. You've also used your humor in support of nonprofits that you uh, feel strongly about. And I'm thinking now about your work with the One Project and Heifer International. And, you know, it doesn't always seem like a natural fit to have a comedian writing about world hunger or, you know, women and children's issues in developing countries. How do you see it all tied together? And do you want to talk a little bit about what the nature of that work has been? 
you know, I was very pleasantly surprised when I was pleasantly surprised, meaning like shocked within an inch of my life when I was invited to go on a trip to Africa with Heifer International and the One Organization, um, because I'm not, uh, you know, I believe in social justice. I support all those causes, but I'm not one of those writers who's always, you know, writing heartfelt, um, very moving pieces about their causes. And then after I got there and I got to see things and started to write about it, it actually, I'm like, okay, I could see why my voice mattered in this because I am an unexpected, not just to myself, but to everybody else reading there, you know, I'm an unexpected choice to go and report back on this. But I'm also writing in my style, which is, you know, I'm not like, you know, haha, look at these Africans. Can you, you know, I'm not writing comedically like that, but there, it's not like a dour, awful situation 100%. And there are like some just small, humorous things that happen, or, you know, the way I report on it is in my voice, which is looking for kind of the commonality of. I had written something about there there were no there's no electricity in Africa where we were. There was very limited electricity. And we were driving around in the van and you couldn't see anything. And then we came over the rise and there was this giant casino that um, lit up that the Chinese owned. And I mean that's ridiculous. And you could have gone I could have gone the route like I can't believe the these Chinese businessmen are coming in and doing this and taking advantage of Africa and blah blah blah. And and I think what I actually wrote was something about shrimp night in Reno or, you know, like making a the absurdity of having that there and kind of making a couple jokes about it, which to me is the way I cope with it, but it's also it's so it's still making the point, but it's it's entertaining a little bit more. And I think when you do it that way, people are more apt to share. They're more apt to warm up to you as a writer and kind of just see it from a more humanistic perspective than just, you know, these these people on another continent that are just destitute and we need to help them. I'm, you know, trying to put more of a um, human face on it. Right. The humor works better than the soapbox. Yes. I want to take credit here because when you were getting ready to go to Africa and you'd gone gotten all the inoculations that were recommended, you left one off the list, which was a tetanus shot. And you and I talked about it. And I said, why did you not get a tetanus shot? And you said, I'm not planning on stepping on a rusty nail when I get to Africa. And I was like, Wendy, nobody plans to do that. Go back and get your damn tetanus (laughs) shot. And you did. You're welcome. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, when I walked on that bed of nails, that was, that was just a last minute impulse. And you were like, thing I did. Nancy, you're here with me now. Thank you. Well, I remember, uh, and then I had said something like, I wasn't going to get some shot because it was only if you were going to come into contact with animals. And I wasn't planning on doing that. And then uh, my friend Mariana's like, what if they plan to come into contact with you? (laughs) So I wondered if being in this middle phase of life is influencing the topics you're writing about, or maybe even the way you write about them. Because I feel like as an observer, I do see you picking up some different topics than you've been writing about in the past five or six years that we've known each other. Do you think, do you think that's the case? Uh, yeah, and that's, you know, for a few reasons. One is I don't write about my kids as much because they're teenagers and you know how that goes. That's that's social suicide, bro. Like you just don't write about your kids because they have, you know, they have more privacy and it's, they're not doing anything that interesting. And most of what they do makes me cry (laughs) and think like, where did I go wrong? So I don't, I don't want to write about it. 
But I also think there are a couple of reasons why I've changed what I'm writing about. And that's, I think, because of what the world is like now. And it's just, it's not as light and fluffy as it was even four years ago. You know, we have a lot of unease everywhere, every day. There's some new awful thing that seems to be happening in the world. Uh, so that's number one. And then number two, I now don't really give a fuck. I don't know. If, can I say that? I think okay, I, please. I don't really, I don't really give a fuck about hurting people's feelings who don't deserve to have their feelings hurt. Does that make sense? No, you said it wrong. You, you don't care about hurting the feelings of bad people. That's what you mean, right? Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Or, or pulling my punches. So, uh, in, in the past I was probably a lot more polite, good girl ish. And now it's like, I don't, I don't care anymore. And if somebody's doing something wrong, I'm going to call them out. I don't care anymore because they're just awful. There's so much awful stuff going on. And I feel kind of a little bit empowered that I have a voice and an opinion and I can put it out there and people will see it. Right. Um, I had a tweet also about um, one of the big evangelists was saying that don't get a flu shot. Just say, I don't believe in the flu and God will protect me. And I think I tweeted that God would actually probably advise you to go down to CVS and get a flu shot. <laughs> uh, and it was on, it was in the Washington Post, which was kind of cool because it's it's true. I mean, maybe I'm being mouthy and I'm you know being inappropriate to some extent, but I don't care. Well, you've got a platform and a point of view, and if you're not using it, who's going to use it, right? Yes. Do you think you approach the job of being a writer differently than you did in your 20s and 30s? And I know you didn't start off as a humor writer. You had a career in the film industry first, not mm -hmm. the adult film industry, though. Let me make that very clear. Not yet. <laughs> not till they adapt your Barry Manilow <laughs> fanfic. My fanfic. <laughs> but I mean, as you look back over the last, you've been writing for a long time. So do you mm -hmm. approach it differently now than you did back when you were first getting started? Yeah, I think when I first started, it was, uh, I was, trying to write for what I thought would be commercial. And that's probably a, a hazard of coming out of advertising in the film business where you are always seeking approval. You want to sell whatever you're writing. So it's more of a calculated thing. And now it's more, I probably have that in the back of my mind a little bit, but it's more so this is what I think is funny and this is what's going to make me laugh and I know it's going to make my friends laugh. So I um, recently wrote a piece called 50 Candles, which was a parody of the movie 16 Candles, where Samantha Baker is now 50, because the, the movie is actually 50 years old. Um, she's 50. The movie's She's 50. Yeah. See, I can't do math. No, it's okay. I, and I wrote that not because I thought it would be popular or because a lot of people would relate to it, but I related to it. And I knew my friends who are all about the same age now would really like it. And, you know, it was just kind of like freeing, like, this is funny. I'm not you know, I, I think I wrote it in like an hour and a half. Uh, I was really fast. And it's been one of my more successful pieces as of late. Did uh, Molly Ringwald tweet it or anything? Has she seen it yet? No. Come on, no. Molly. I know. Come on, Molly, you're better than that. But I, oh, here's, a, here's a good example. Another piece that I wrote that has been really popular was called, uh, I'm going to close this business deal using words I've overheard businessmen yell in airports, um, which 100% makes fun of middle manager men in airports who are yelling into their cell phones and think they're super important. Right. 100%. And not only did I not get any negative feedback on that one, I've had probably 10 emails telling me how much they liked it, all from men who uh, are say things like, I hope 
that this isn't me at the airport. I'm going to watch myself the next time I'm at the gate. Thank you for doing a public service. Yeah, you're welcome. But, I th- you know, that's something I don't... The synergies of this deal are, you know, clear from the get-go. And let's put a pin in that and circle back. I'm circling back. I'm circling back so hard. But I think that I probably wouldn't even have written something like that 10 years ago because the power differential was different then, even 10 years ago, I think. And now it's, I've, I've spent enough of my life listening to Stuart, you know, try to close some deal next to me in invading my space. So it's kind of like I've dealt with their bullshit for so long. It's finally my time to call them out on it. I don't care. It's a different time. So what one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you, or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Well, I've been thinking about this and I, I don't think that I would go back because I am trying to be philosophical and uh, make myself not cry with regret. (laughs) So I think, but I think everything that I've done has just led me to where I am now. And yeah, there are probably, probably some things I would have been less hesitant to try or, you know, wish that I could have started sooner, but everything led me to where I am now. So I don't know that I'd give myself any advice because I don't want to do that uh, head trip. But to, to somebody younger, I would say, and I, and I don't think that this is even needed advice because I think a lot of people are already doing this, which is finding their voice and using it at a younger age. And what I see happening with the high school kids and the college kids, my God, it blows my mind because our generation never did that or very rarely. Did Are you talking about the Parkland kids? The and Parkland all that? kids and the marches and the, I've spent more time at the Texas state Capitol protesting than I have most places in my life. But every time I go down there, it's, it's a lot of millennial women and they're so vocal and charged up and they don't give a shit. And it's just so amazing. Cause I, I remember being in, protests in college and we were all we didn't have sign game or signs sucked and we were always still kind of self-conscious about it we were Mm -hmm. protesting but we were a little bit you know is this the right thing to do and if a boy walked by we're kind of embarrassed and uh, the generation now they don't care they're in it to because to change the world and and i admire that so much so i guess uh you know my advice is to anybody not doing that now to start doing it because they have they have uh the groundswell support from their peers and there's no reason not to. And uh, I wish I, I wish that our generation had been more like that. Yeah. Maybe what we needed was these kids to travel back in time to their parents, us yeah, to say, get your shit together, get out on the street and prevent us from having to deal with this stuff as it comes down the pike. Yeah. Back to the motherfucking future. Let's write that. That's there's your fanfic, Nancy. (laughs) Back to the motherfucking future by Wendy and Nancy. (laughs) And seed. <laughs> and instead of a DeLorean, it's my Volvo SUV because, you know, safety. I'll, let me drive, though, okay? Okay. I'll drive. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be better. Okay. All right, Wendy, I love talking with you. I'm glad I thought- Are we done? No, we can't be done. I'm glad I started a podcast so I could have an extra excuse to do this. Thank you for being my first guest of season two of the Midlife Mixtape podcast. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh, do I get a sash? Uh, I, I will get your TR. I'll put it in the mail. Just go wait by your mailbox. It'll show up eventually. Okay, I'm there right now. I just walked okay, out. Perfect. Careful on those mean streets of Austin. Yes, yeah. it's it's a sketch out here. <laughs> yeah, great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, that was the fastest 30 minutes in time. I think, you're, I think you're cutting me short. I'm not. Okay. All right, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. 
Okay, so are you ready to hear how you can help me celebrate year two of the podcast? Here's the deal. Three lucky listeners will receive a midlife mixtape tote bag that says for the years between being hip and breaking one. The grand prize winner gets the tote bag plus a personalized playlist made by me. The media format for that is TBD. Do you want a CD? Do you want a Spotify playlist? We'll figure it out. We'll we'll make it work for you. And to make the playlist, I'm probably going to ask you to give me names of a few of your favorite artists so I can get in the right ballpark. I'm not going to give you a country music CD if you're a straight metalhead, but we'll figure something out. It'll be fun. And I look forward to I look forward to doing it actually. Huh, imagine. I look forward to doing it. Anyway, here's how to enter. First, leave a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. If that's on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you're tuning in, whatever app you're using, if you could leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. If you're not listening in one of those spots, you could also, or alternatively, share a link to the podcast on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and tag Midlife Mixtape when you do. The second part of the entry is to subscribe to midlifemixtape.com if you haven't already. So that's the blog that if you subscribe over there, that means you'll get an email every time I have a new post or podcast episode. And I'll use random.org to choose my four winners at 5 p.m. on Tuesday, May 15th. So basically, I'm hoping you'll leave a review or you'll share the podcast with people who will like it, and that you'll also subscribe to the blog at midlifemixtape.com. That's the Cliff Notes version of what I'm asking you to do. But if that's confusing, reach out to me for further confusing instructions via email at dj at midlifemixtape.com or find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at midlifemixtape. I'm super excited for the next episode when I'll be talking with Isabel Kalman and Janine Harvey, who are co-founders of Feed Our Democracy, a simple but profound model for fostering civic and civil engagement. Isabel used to be a club MTV dancer and Janine used to work for Bono. So let's just say the first concert question on that episode may take some interesting directions. That's it for today, you guys. Wishing you a wonderful week. And for all you moms out there listening, happy, happy Mother's Day. I hope you have a wonderful day. All right, take care. I don't want to be this, don't want to be that. Don't want to give up, I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means. Whatever you want from me, I want to be. Don't want to be this, don't want to be that. Don't want to give up, I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means. Whatever you want from me, I want to be, be, be. I want to be... I wanna be free 